Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Apostle, and I have Leah V here with me today. Hi, Leah V. Hey. I think I mentioned this when we spoke like before we had like our pre-recording call, but I've been following you for so long on the socials and always just enjoyed your boldness and your unapologetic way of being in your body and also you like your fashion sense. <laughs> I love your fashion. And I I just I'm really a little starstruck. I'm so happy to be talking to you. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh to dig into the nonsense and right. uh, shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans that are the bottle and sue. Oh my god, I love it. Nonsense <laughs> and shenanigans. Yay. Well, why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh so Leah V here from Detroit. Um people think I'm from like LA or New York, and I'm like, mm-mm. We rep where we're from and we're from Detroit. Don't don't play with it, don't play with it. So yeah, I'm from Detroit live in New York right now. I've uh, been here for four years. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so multifaceted, like multi-hyphenate, like multifaceted. It's like, wow, I do so many things. But um, <laughs> I like to call myself an inclusive content creator uh, because like everything that I do is kind of under that umbrella. So we have the plus size modeling. Uh, we have yeah, the influencing uh we have i'm an author you know uh i guess stylist because i have style all my shoots like from head to toe including the hijab the makeup the direction location all of that so um yeah there's so many things but i i want to be known as like a you know a creative like a fat black muslim creative like that's you know my little tagline i love it and is I, I think I know the answer to this, but is that an unusual thing to be known for? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I started way back when, um, kind of fell into modeling. People think that I just like orchestrated this thing and I did not. Uh, I kind of fell into modeling, uh, because, you know, during, you know, I'm 36 now. So back, uh, during America's Next Top Model, um, you know, nobody on the show looked like me. They were definitely not short. They were definitely not proportion they were proportionate they you know didn't wear her job like if you were under five eight you can get the fuck on like that's it so um i remember like being very much so into obsessed with thin models and tried to you know 
basically make my body look like theirs, knowing, well, not knowing, now I know, the knowing now, right now that I would never ever look like them without much plastic surgery, bone lengthening, and religion change. <laughs> like, I would have to like literally change my entire lifestyle around to look like, you know, a supermo supermodel. And so, yeah, uh, being fat, black, and Muslim, uh, model artist is something that's definitely not heard of. I think I was one of the first, um, in America, at least. Um, and yeah, I've been kind of riding that wave ever since and trying to figure out where that's going. Cause we kind of hit a little bit of a snag, which we'll talk about, I'm assuming. Mm, <laughs> yes. I'm going to write down snag. <laughs> I love talking about snags. I love talking about the things that get in our way. It's so real, right? Cause we all face obstacles and shit that happens that we didn't expect. And I think the human part is like, and so now what do we do? So we'll totally talk about that. I do want to ask about your relationship to the word fat. You have it so boldly in everything you do. I am fat, black, and Muslim. So talk about the fat part. When, because like you said, you spent years wanting to emulate the thin models that America's tech next top model. God, I totally forgot. I was obsessed with that show. And you just brought it all back to me. I'm like, oh yeah, right. I used to like watch it with my friends and so what's the fat part? What's your relationship been with the word fat? How has that changed? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, most of our stories, uh, no matter where, where you came from in the world, you know, the word fat is like such a hot topic. Um, and so I remember one time in particular, I was like maybe 18, 17, something like that. And I was going at it head to head with um, not my brother-in-law at the time, but was going to be with my brother-in-law at, at some point, some years later. So we were arguing and I was a sassy bitch. Like I was a sassy bitch back in the day. I was a menace, uh, to society back in the day when I was younger, I didn't give a fuck about nothing, no one, what you had to say, I'm doing me. So I remember we were in the store and we were just being ridiculous and young and stupid in a store going in on each other like we're like nose to nose right talking shit and he and i'm winning i'm winning and then he pulls out the golden sword <laughs> you're nothing but a fat bitch in front of everybody and i was like oh and like i couldn't i had no rebuttal i had no rebuttal yeah i was so upset i was so hurt i was like oh, that's the that's the golden sword <laughs> like for every person who is like fat or not even fat even people who are not fat you know it hurts their feelings so at that point it made me crumble and it made me feel small and it stopped me in my tracks and so fast forward i started looking into words that i wanted to reclaim and fast forward how many years now like how far forward are we going uh, yeah, it had to be like maybe seven, eight, something like that. Definitely like during the end of my marriage, I would, I would think, I think it's somewhere around that time. Um, it was, it was some years and, um, I was like, cause I'm a writer and I have a master's degree in, uh, creative writing and MFA and publishing. So like I write, you know, I write books, you know, I know the words and stuff and the meanings. And so I was looking to reclaim some words that I, that hurt me. Um, one of them was fat. Another one was, uh, oh, angry black. 
angry, angry black woman that really hurt my feelings. And I tried, you know, not to be that stereotype. And so those are the two terms that I'm like, okay, like, like how does it feel to really put those terms up front and extract all the hurt, pain, trauma, evilness, darkness from this word? And what does it feel like when you reclaim it in your own way? And that when someone uses it against you, you never feel small, belittled, crumbled again. And at that point, I started to make my tag fat, black, and Muslim as fuck and have stuck with it ever since. And I get people who cringe when they hear the word. They're like, you? No, that's not you. You are, you are not fat. Okay, so then I have to sit there and educate when they cringe. Uh, and I'm so shocked that I would ever call myself that nasty, nasty word. And I'm just like, ma'am, can we calm down? Just like you are skinny, I am fat. And just like he is tall, I am short. These are all descriptors. Uh, they're all adjectives. And they weigh as much as we want them to weigh. Mm. I love that process of reclamation, like of intentionally finding the words that have hurt, cut the deepest, and been like, no, I'm going to... I, well, I'm actually, this is my question. I'm curious about your process because was it, I'm going to give them a new definition or I'm going to find a way to accept this word in a way that makes sense for me? Like, wh- how did you do that? Like, if you were going to teach this to to people listening, <laughs> how would you have them do this? I mean, I think like it all comes down to community and education, right? Um, I am from the Midwest. So, you know, in the Midwest, Back in the day, I don't know about now, but fat women did not dress up. We didn't have access. Uh, we weren't being flown out. We weren't, you know, bagging the hot guys with the money. You know, we weren't getting high pay positions. We, we were secondary citizens and still get treated like that in a lot of places. And so I think that with the word, um, I started to come across it a little bit on social media. So at this time it was Tumblr and Instagram. Uh, and I started seeing like plus size and body positive and stuff like that on Tumblr. And then of course, like Instagram started back in 2012. So I was on there and I stumbled upon a community of people who were plus size and unapologetic. So I started to build the community from that. And then also uh, the queer community as well, uh, because they had a lot of insight, insight that I never had access to. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. This is, this is some shit I never even, wait a minute, you can be yourself and be happy about it and no one can tell you shit about shit. Okay, I want to be with the queers. So I started to delve into like the fat communities that ones will have me because some of them bitches are fake and the queer community that were very open to having me uh, just because I'm ridiculous uh, and loud and flamboyant. And they started to teach me that it was okay to be in my body. And so from there, I kind of extracted um you know, like, yeah, some people are using plus size and that was like a, you know, oh, plus size, plus size section. Uh. So I'm like, okay, what if we took it a step further? And then we took the other one, which is fat, which is like the, the, the deeper one about like below plus size. And yeah, it, it basically, yeah, I don't know how to like explain it all the way, but I just feel like that word became so empowering to me. It, it was like the complete opposite. Once I was just like, yeah, you are fat. And you're fat and fabulous. You're fat and educated. You're fat and nice. You're fat and bitchy. Uh, you're fat and picky. Like you're fat and all these things. And so, and that's fine. And it's okay. Right. Instead of you're this, but you're fat. 
so it became like an and instead of an or or a but. Yeah. Oh, that's so, I mean, I feel the power in what you're saying. Like, it's so empowering to be able to do that. And yeah, I, I, I had a similar journey. So I really relate to what you're saying, Leah V. So you start reclaiming the word. You started saying you were fat, black, and Muslim as fuck. And then what happened? Where did you, where'd you go from there? Well, I was married at the time. 10, 10, don't recommend. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been twice divorced, so I hear you. recommending at all. People are like, oh my God, marriage, I need to, I must. Like, please, no, please don't. Because you're, you're saving yourself a lot of just shenanigans and, and, and mischief. Uh, yeah, so 10, 10, don't recommend. And definitely don't recommend when you're 19, which has happened to me. So I got married super duper early because uh, I thought that was the religious thing to do. Uh, and that backfired, <laughs> but yeah, I was trying to find myself and find my body and stuff like that in a very, in a marriage that wasn't so open and, uh, body positive and in a community that was neither of those things as well. So it was really hard for me to go through that journey of like, okay, I'm trying to find myself here, but people keep telling me to like, not, and just step in and step in line. Yeah. They kept trying to curtail you? Is that what it was? Like stopping so X, Y, Z. And it wasn't just like, you know, as, as a black Muslim American, like you have the medical field and like white supremacy and patriarchy, but then you go a step down and now, you ha- now your own community is doing it too. And you're like, wow, so I just can't fucking live. And so it was very hard for me. I kept bouncing back and forth, teetering with like, maybe I should just step in line and lose weight and try to be a good Muslim wife and da 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 versus I kind of want to do this because it feels right to me. Um, and so, yeah, once the divorce was finalized, um, I ended up losing a shit ton of weight actually just from depression, uh, and just not having any money for groceries. Um, so that happened. Um, and I was still a part of the body positive movement, but one thing, when that did happen, people were kind of no- noticing the shift of me losing weight and stuff like that. And we're like, oh yeah, I can see you're smaller. And like, I never was like, oh yes, I'm smaller now. Because I knew a part, like, I knew that as like a fat influencer, that that's not what I'm here to push. I'm here for enjoying the life and the body you have right now. So even though I was losing weight from depression uh, and not having money, uh, people make comments. And I'm like, please don't. Cause I'm going through something right now and that's not appropriate. Uh, so I still maintain the fat black and Muslim as fuck, um, punchline. And, um, it just kind of blew up and people were like, well, this is a mixture. So I, I'm fucking with it. And I, and I started getting flown out to do a speaking engagements at colleges and, uh, Yahoo and Buzzfeed and, you know, all these magazines are to like take, you know, take notice because like they'd never seen that before. So yeah. And what were you speaking about? Were you speaking about the intersections of those identities or like something else? Like what were you? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I got my master's like before I got divorced. Well, I actually got both of them before I got divorced actually. So when I got divorced, I was very educated, but just didn't have any m- income. And so my first speaking engagement, um, happened again, randomly, uh, when, one of my videos, um, black Muslim, Muslim girl dance went semi-viral. Uh, and then you, uh, somebody, a doctor from the university of Ottawa and like women's studies, 
uh, contacted me. She's like, I just saw your video like in Canada and we want to fly you in to talk about your intersections of being a fat black Muslim uh, from Detroit. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you. And that was my first speaking engagement. And I was so scared, didn't know what to say. And um, yeah, I kind of fell into that. And people were like, oh, like, why don't you do speaking engagements? And I'm like, I don't think I have the accolades for that. And they're like, you have two masters and you write your writer. And I'm like, yes. So then I started speaking at more colleges after falling into that gig. Oh, amazing. What was that like speaking to college and university students? Like how did, how did that impact you? I mean, it was interesting because the first one was actually a pretty big deal. It was like, uh, scholars, doctors, academics in that room, a couple of students, but it was like people who are actually like, I don't know, important in Canada, in Ottawa. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I have, everyone knows that I have IBS. Uh, and my IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, it flares up and I'm nervous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it flares up and I'm nervous. Sometimes it flares up for no reason. Uh, but mostly if I'm nervous, is all my nerves are in my stomach. So I had to poop like, I think, five times before getting on stage. And I, I told the girl, can you tell me the exact minute I'm going on stage? And she's like, Oh, we're going to try because you have other speakers. I'm like, listen very carefully. Can you tell me like at least like two minutes because I have IBS and I'm scared. And these people are important. This is my first time on stage. And as soon as I got out the bathroom, I mean, why wash my hands? I heard, okay, and next is Leah V. And from the bathroom, I just run on stage like, hi, hi, my name is Leah V. And it was great. But like, um, I love speaking at universities. I think that speak speaking like whether it's my book tour or whether it's like to students or staff or academics or people just on the street corner, I feel like you get more of an, you, you give more of an impact that you can't get through social media. Um, to see someone's face as you're speaking to them or have them answer, ask questions about something that what they thought was interesting in your life. I think that is so amazing. I mean, I've even cried with like people before in audiences before because I'm clearly a baby bitch. Uh, I'm thug, but I'm a baby bitch and I will cry for no reason at all. And so I had this one girl, I did uh, something before COVID, I think 2018, and it's little, little thing, hijabi with a small face, big glasses, engulfed in a hijab and just start crying. She's just like, I just never seen anybody like you before. And I feel so ugly. I was like, ah. oh my God, you're making no. me cry right now. I know. It's, so, oh. it's, just, it's just so amazing, you know, to have that type of impact for people. So, yeah. Yeah. I love what she said. You're, you're showing me something I've never seen before. Oh, oh my God. That's such a gift. And then from there is when you went into modeling? Uh, no. So I was, I've been modeling before the speaking engagement. I've been modeling back since I started the blog. So I would say 2012. So I was basically doing what happened was, again, me falling into it. Uh, I used to obsess over, uh, there's the style network. And that was back in the day when I used to have the style network. It was 24 seven thin white women on the catwalk and fashion shows. And so I would obsess over this and I would like go in the mirror, practice my smile, practice my ankles, practice catwalking. Like I would be doing this just as a child, just for just absolutely no reason. So in the midst of me practicing this, I actually got really good. <laughs> and people were like, oh my God, you're so photogenic. And I would tell them to stop lying to me because I had body dysmorphia. So although I was practicing, I still felt extremely ugly, extremely big, 
don't look at me. Uh, I'm not the person you think I am. I'm not cute. I'm not pretty. So stop. So um, that went on for years. Um, and then I was in another eating disorder phase. I lost a lot of weight, like I think 70 or 80 pounds. Um, so I was extremely small. And I was like, okay, well, I want to like start, I guess, modeling and blogging. So people start to be like, yo, you're like Muslim, you're curvy, like you're photogenic. Would you want to shoot with me? So all these like local Detroit photographers, like the top ones in Detroit would be like, do you want to shoot like free of charge? I just want to shoot you. And I started to build a portfolio literally by photographers lending their time and expertise and editing skills for me free of charge. And I always tell people I would never be here if I did not have like local photographers give me a chance and a lot of them had never shot a fat person had never shot a muslim before i was their first in their portfolio and um they literally built my portfolio so that people in new york would look at it and be like oh wow she can actually model so i always give up to photographers because they honestly started my career and gave me the confidence i needed to work with new york photographers (laughs) so yeah wow and you you describe yourself as a hijabi model so do you want to share with that like what is that for people who may not know yeah so i used to be more of a hijabi back in the day <laughs> so usually when you see someone who's a, a hijabi or nakabi nakabi which means you cover your your face uh whether it's half face or whole face that's nakabi hijabi usually usually means you cover your hair uh and then you are modest in your dress right um and so for different cultures, it means different things, of course. Like I'm a little bit more lax on my modesty. So you'll see me in bodysuits, uh, you know, and some tight ass shit, you know, my titties might may or may not be out, but uh, I do practice some sort of modesty. So yeah, basically a hijabi model is uh, modest. Like you won't see them probably in shorts or like tank tops or bikini sets. Um, and they're usually going to cover their hair. Uh, y- usually that's like the hijabi modesty. But again, I'm not the poster child for that because I've had Muslims tell me that I am doing it wrong. So I don't usually like, you know, ca- like necessarily call myself a hijabi, but I am technically. But, uh, you know, it's basically it's basically a modesty thing and the covering of the hair. Oh, got it. Okay. Oh, so interesting. And t- it's very interesting to me because that feels a little oppositional to what we typically think of when we think of models who are often showcasing all parts of themselves. So was that, was that a challenge to get into the industry because of that? Or what was that? A thousand percent. I've had people on set tell me to remove my hijab. Um, What is that on your head? Literally I've come in as a hijabi model and they're like, yeah, so what is that? And I'm like, so you guys don't know that you hired a hijabi model? Okay. Um, I've had to bring clothes on set because they wanted to put me in short sets and bikini tops. And I'm just like, okay, so you guys understand the part of hijabi is mean that you have some type of modesty standards. And I had to literally like fight my way through gigs and educate directors and stylists on what it is. And now that I've I'm, you know, OG in the modeling industry and I've worked with all the major brands. They already know, don't fuck around when I come on set. Don't play with me. Don't ask me stupid ass questions. But before when I was a baby hijabi model, I was like, I'm just happy to be here. Now I'm just like, if a bitch don't have the shit that I need on set, it's I'm fucking walking off. So it's just like very much so giving, you know, uh, share on set, you know, Beyonce, Rihanna, whatever, Nikki, 
Because like, I'm not playing with y'all. Like, you should be educated enough to know what a $100 bottle is. If you didn't have the things that we needed to get this right, then do not fucking hire me. And so a lot of them now know, and they're very educated in uh, what I can do, what I can't do, my parameters. And so we're good to... We're good to go now. But there is that one thing as a plus size model that's still happens is that they don't have your correct size. So a lot of times I come on set and they don't have my correct size. So they're still doing that. And I'm like, okay, y'all know I'm 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 bigums. Don't play with me. I cannot squeeze into no 12, 14. So what do you do in that moment? Like if the clothes don't fit, the clothes don't fit. Like what do you do? I mean, I've had to squeeze into things, unfortunately. I've had to have backs cut out of things, arms cut out of things, two pe- two small denims meshed into one big denim. Like I've had like a lot of you guys be like, Oh, Leah, be so cute in this outfit. And I'm like, look at the back of it and see how massacred. It's like and, a corset in the back. Oh, yeah, it's oh, fucked up. I can't move, but I make that shit look cute. Uh, usually I just can't move. And they're just like, oh, do this. I'm like, if I move my arm, all this shit is going to pop off. So get the fucking shot and suck my dick. So, <laughs> well, like, I must, they must have your measurements, right? Like, like, so where, do, what do you think is what, I mean, I'm just going to ask you, what do you think the problem is? Well, it's thin stylists that don't know how to do anything. <laughs> but get the job on a plus size set. That's why I'm just like, you know, just, just, it's just a thin mediocrity for me. And I don't like to go off on thin people or straight size people because, you know, they're good people and stuff. And there's a lot of fat allies out there who are thin and straight size and powered to them. But the other ones, your cousins, wow. So they just mediocre at best. And, and it's like, if, if you're, if you cannot style a plus size body, if you cannot, if you don't know the stores that you get, we only have five stores. Listen, plus size people have literally five stores. It's not rocket science. Okay. There's measurements. There are, there's Google articles. There's other plus size people that would tell you happily where to shop for a fat bitch. Because you choose not to when you think that a bitch can squeeze into a size 12 and she's a 26, that's ludicrous and thin mediocrity. That's all I can say about that. Oh, I mean, I feel like whoever is in charge of the shoot, like if that was me, I would like fire the star- stylist. I'd be like, look, you knew all this information. You now have cost me time and money and I've had to rip up clothes and, and, and. Like I'd be furious if I was in charge of the shoot. Mm-hmm. The only one that I've been on set that what like actually had like uh was pretty size inclusive is Universal Standard. Um, because they go up to a 40. So usually they will have I've never been on set with them. I've worked with them a couple of times. And yeah, their shit has we never had to rip up jeans or like add stuff. Their stuff just, just fits. They have all the sizes. Um now the other ones sometimes is a little questionable, but mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, yeah. So I have this in my notes and I, 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 I'm trying to remember what it, refra- what it, re- what it uh, connects to, but I wrote down black sheep in the industry. <laughs> Do you want to refresh my mind what that was that we talked about? Because now I forget. Yeah. So I was telling you how I started a podcast because I was upset about the industry and how they treated me or have been treating me for the last, uh, since like 2021. And I like all the stuff you just said or different stuff. Like all stuff I just said, ver- and also just like how they just will 
be like, okay, she's fat, black, and Muslim. We want all, we want her because she's she hits all the points. But then when you get your campaigns, like, oh, we work with Leah V. We had her in a campaign. Now we're done. So now back to the uh, strong jaw bitches. Oh, the tokenism piece. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So it, that's it's hurtful because I had a breakdown when my uh, I had to drop one agency because they just would not cast or book me. And I told them, I talked to the CEO. I was like, I don't feel like you guys champion diversity. Like there's no one on your roster who looks like me and you just don't give a fuck. Literally the CEO, because something happened. And I was like, Mm-mm. I go, I'm a, I'm a black Karen. So I go to the top of the tier to, to for my grievances. I don't know. And he's like, no, that's not true. And I'm like, okay, you guys have 30 days to figure some shit out or I will be dropping this agency. 30 days pass, no change. I was like, I don't want to be with you guys anymore. And then my London agency dropped me six months in, didn't even give me a chance to to do anything. Again, the only fat black Muslim girl on their roster. And I had a breakdown because I'm like, you know, I worked really hard to get to this point and this is my income. I don't have a plan B, you know, like I want to be booked like the, the girls with the wavy hair and the white moms and the size tens who are being padded like i'm truly plus size they are not um and so and i can model just as good as they can i've modeled with the top plus girls and i've held my own so i'm i was trying to have to prove myself so yeah i was angry and i started doing talk, talking shit about everybody uh on my podcast like because i was upset so i'll i'll be the fucking black sheep i don't get i don't care anymore if i never get booked again i really don't give a fuck at this point yeah. And what was your, the purpose of that was to, I imagine maybe make yourself feel a little better, but also to shed light on the system and. Hello, lovely fat joy friend, Sophia here. And I have a request. Can you please subscribe to this podcast? And if you've already subscribed, can you please give me a five-star rating? And if you've done that, could you please write a review of the podcast? I know, I know that's a lot of asks, but these actions help increase the profile of Fat Joy, which allows me to keep producing it. I'm so grateful the Fat Joy podcast is one of the top 2.5% most popular shows out of the over 3 million podcasts globally. Totally amazing. And let's bring even more Fat Joy into the world by getting into the top 1%. So when you subscribe, rate, and review, you're helping do that. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you. Yeah, because a lot of people don't know, a lot of plus size, I think a lot of consumers don't understand like who they are buying from and how much their buying power and their social media power matters. I feel like a lot of fat, fat people... Let's not not even consumers. That's a whole different subject. But fat consumers and plus size consumers, marginalized consumers, they don't understand how much power they have to change and turn these companies around. We've seen it before with like people getting doxxed and companies getting doxxed because like, okay, what you're not going to do is do that. So do better, or we're not fucking with you anymore. And they're like, oh, let me get a uh, let me do a size thirty, like because you're playing games and now you think it's funny and you think we're a fucking joke. And I just think that the industry has kind of given up like across the board on like size rights, fat acceptance. I feel like we were tokens. A lot of the dark skin uh, models, a lot of the, the 
models with natural hair, a lot of the super plus models are not getting any work because they used us for their campaigns during COVID. And now they're like, oh, no, we're going to back to the to, to the size eights and the tens with, you know, with the wavy hair and, and, and the white models who are kind of sort of got a little chin. We, we want them. We don't want you fatties, you, you real fatties. And so, yeah, I was like, I'm going to educate. And if two people listen to it, great. If more, great. But I'm going to talk my shit. Yeah, yeah believe you this is amazing and it's it's i had a car i actually recorded with andrea kelly yesterday who is the who created a company called make plus equal because she has been in the specifically outdoor apparel but like clothing fashion industry for 20 plus years fighting to all the steps of the inner the inner sanctum of these companies to like get plus size a truly inclusive, like beyond a fake 3X, which is really just an XL done. And like, it just, the resistance, the inability for companies to take, to feel like they feel like they're taking a huge risk and they're not willing to do it. And, and, and even though we are the majority, 69% of people are plus size. So we're the norm. And yet it's still not there. So I love that you were like, fuck this. I'm spilling the tea. Here's what I want to know. And I think it's just a fire that burns inside of you. But like the courage that that takes, the emotional labor that that takes, the toll, the stress that that takes is immense. How, how did you hold all that? Like, what was the cost to you of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think because I had gone through so much like body dysmorphia, you know, gaining weight, you know, which is like a no-no, even the plus size industry. I was like, you know, this weight is probably here to stay. Um, and just being like, okay, getting beat out by girls who, you know, are 5'10 proportionate sizes, you know, um, it started to hit my emotional started to hit my phys physical started to hit like just my mental and i was like okay you're not good enough and i felt myself regressing back to the baby leah that i was before where i was like no i'm not photogenic no i'm ugly please don't no pictures so for a minute i didn't do any photo shoots or anything like that because i'm like i don't feel good i don't look good um and it's backed up by what these companies and brands are saying. So what's the point of trying? And I think at some point I was like, you've probably ran your course in this industry. Like you are 36, you know, I'm considered old in the industry, especially in modeling, like shocked that I even did as much as I did in my thirties. Cause most of the models, plus size models are definitely young in their twenties, uh, and you know, younger, newer, fresher, TikTok, you know, that they want all that. And so, um, at some point I was like, you know what, you've done amazing things in this industry. Like you've done Athleta and Old Navy and Target, Milk Makeup, Amazon, like you work with major brands over your amazing career and you will be in history books one day. They're not going to give you your flowers now, but best believe when I talk about plus size, black, Muslim, American, unconventional, like you're going to be in those textbooks. And so you need to bow out, not gracefully, but very ridiculously and loudly with your shenanigans and understand that they're probably going to hire you. Yeah. And they're never going to hire you. Oops. 
they're never going to hire you again. So, you know, it's, and it's fine. Cause like, there are so many other things that I can do. And so I'm a fucking writer. Like I, you know, I'm doing five classes and I want to, I want to do scripts and I'm going to TV and film. And so, yeah, like, fuck that. Like, you don't have to stay in somewhere that people don't want you. You know what I mean? It's just like, I want to be somewhere that people want me and celebrate my body and celebrate my differences. And when I say something creative, they're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, I don't want to be like, oh no, I'm sorry. You're too fat. Sorry. We want, we want this because you're too big. Okay. Well then fuck it then. So let me go somewhere else where they're going to like do it. And I'm, and I hope that my courage gives the other girlies who are battling the plus size industry and fashion industry. I hope they have the same courage that I had three, five, 10 years ago to, to battle this. But I think I'm going to have to bow out because, you know, I've, I've run my course, but I do hope there's, there's a new generation of bitches who are like, fuck this shit. We want super plus. We want size 30 plus. We want this. And I, I have all of the hope uh, and excitement that they're going to rip this shit apart. Oh, oh my God. I love it. I love it. And thank you for describing what sounds to me, you didn't call it this, but uh, to me, it sounds like a grief process. Like you had to grieve the loss of this, this feeling of being excluded intentionally, and then the letting go and acceptance and moving into, you know, moving forward in your life. Yeah, man, that's a hard, that's shitty. It's hard. I mean, I can just imagine. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy, but I'm like, when I don't get gigs, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I wasn't expecting it anyway. So like, I don't really, I'm doing other things right now um, that I'm excited about. So so one of the things that you do do um, is you are a writer and you've written a bunch of books. Can you tell us about your books that you've yeah, written? So the first book I wrote in 2019, well, I didn't write it in 2019. It was published in 2019. Uh, that book was during the time I told you that I lost a bunch of weight and I got divorced. So that memoir was written during that time where I didn't have any prospects for life and was like, I need to get everything off my chest about my mentally, my mentally ill mother that kind of forced religion on us. My father, who was just an evil person. Uh, my ex, who left me with nothing for a bitch in Australia. And just white people and fat phobic people and just like black Muslims who always tried to like tell me that I was too much and I was doing too much. So I was like, let me write a book about that. Not a book, but it was like, I, just, I was writing essays. There were essays about each part that each part of my life where people affected me and it stuck with me or traumatized me or uh, even in moments that were triumphant moments where I thought I would never be in that position. Um, I just wrote, wrote and cried and wrote and took naps and cried and wrote and took naps. Uh, and so by the time I had a whole book and I put it away because I wasn't ready to face what people would say about me if they knew the truth about some of the stories and some of the stuff I've went through or some of the things I've done. So I was like, I'm going to put it away and um, I'm going to make a prayer. I pray sometimes. Uh, I was like, you know what? Creator, God, Allah, whatever. I was like, if you want me to pursue getting this book published, I need a sign from you. And then I put it away. Uh, of course, that sign came when I won the Gilda Award for my abortion story. And I was 19 and I was like, all right, I see you. 
And then I, so had you, you had obviously submitted that story to a contest or something? Like how did that happen? Yeah. So the book was already, the book was already, uh, the essay was written already. I think the essay was written. I feel like I might've wrote it for, no, I wrote that for the contest actually. Yeah. That's actually the first story that's in my memoir. Um, and so, cause that was, I wanted to write about something that was like so deeply disturbing, something that I've kept a secret for over a decade. Um, and something that I needed to let go. And so that was what we wrote about <laughs> and it, it was winning me a Gilder award in nonfiction, creative nonfiction. And I was like, that's my sign. I was like, uh, two weeks later, I went to LA just to network with people because I won some money with it. Bought a Spirit Airline ticket to LA to network with some people, came back. I was like, all right, let's find an agent. And then within 48 hours, I had eight, nine, 10 agents being like, we want to re- re- represent you in your book. The rest is history. So, That's yeah. amazing. Wow. I want to go back to that, the abortion story essay that you wrote and shared. I mean, so I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also, I'm a creative writing coach for a studio. And so I work with a lot of people writing memoir and often memoir, people who are drawn to write memoir, writing about like really hard shit that's happened in their lives. And one of the biggest challenges is what you've already named, which is what are other people going to think about the shit that I'm writing that no one knows? So what was it like to like take that abortion story, which sounds like it was a bit of a secret and just release it into the world and just trust? How was that for you? It's a big deal. I think that, um, so I had therapy about it before we, we touched on it in therapy and I could not say the word without crying. Uh, and so, um, I had already done a little bit of the work because my therapist knew, I think two of my closest friends knew nobody else. And so, and they kind of sort of knew, but it was very unspoken because reminds we're all Muslim. So that's not something that is like, they never spoke about it. I think I went to their house afterwards and just cried with them and, but it was never anything spoken. Uh, the first time I talked about somebody was the therapist and, um, we talked about it and I was like, okay, when I can say it without crying, I think that that will be a, a good moment for us. And then when I wrote the essay, um, I don't know, I just felt like being super vulnerable at that moment. It was like, whatever people are going to think about me is what they're going to think about me, but I have to get the story out. It's happening. And I, whatever comes with it, I have to deal with it. And so I guess it was like a little bit of a brave moment for me because I'm like, we're just going to do it. And whatever happens is what happens. But people really resonated with it. That's the thing. People were going to. I thought it was something that was stupid or keep it to myself. And I'm like, no, this is a part of my story. And I think that we told. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And don't you find, because I have a very similar story. I wrote, I actually, I also thought, worked through my feelings with therapy and then worked with a storytelling coach to create my story as a verbal story that I kind of orated at a storytelling event in front of like 250 people. (laughs) So it was like, I was like shaking. I was like, oh my God. And it was my abortion story as well. 
And don't you find that when you do that, like scary, brave thing that it's like, it's, it, it's just, it's so ends up being so expansive because then the next thing you're like, okay, this is another scary thing, but you know what? I just did that last scary thing. Like it just opens the door to you being even more brave and more expansive. Yeah, I definitely agree. Cause I feel like it only takes like one or two times doing some very scary shit to lead to more scary shit that ultimately ends in amazing experiences. Um, and so now people know me as like very adventurous and do stuff that fat people don't do, shouldn't do, are doing. And so I'm like, yeah, like I remember going to Ghana and I was like, I want to get on the back of a motorcycle in Ghana and I want to do that. And I randomly uh, <laughs> met these two guys outside of a restaurant. And mind you, I'm a solo traveler, so I'm by myself. And they were just chilling. And one of the guys had Crocs on. I'm a little bit of a flirt. Uh, so one of the guys had Crocs on. I was like, I had Crocs on too. I was like, ooh, Crocs twins. And then he was like, ooh. And then uh, one of his friends had a motorcycle. I was like, oh, can I get on the back of it? He was like, what? I'm like, can I get on the back of your motorcycle? He was like, um, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. I was like, bet. I was like, give me your number. Got his number. Both of them came to my hotel with a motorcycle. <laughs> and then I rode on the back of it. Right? <laughs> you see, like, my fat ass on the back of my motorcycle. And the two guys that were there, has, they were so tickled by this. Because yeah. I was a little scared. And they're like, this girl is crazy. And I'm like, yeah. And off my bucket list, riding on the back of a motorcycle in a different country with men I just met, like, 12 hours ago. Right? So, yeah. yeah. I love that so much. I think about this all the time because whenever we go through really hard stuff and have to be brave, like, I don't know, it feels like it has, now that I've done it a bunch of times, I feel like I can handle anything. Like, bring it. Bring it. Like, I know I will be fine. I have the resilience, I have the adaptability, I have the skill set now to, like, recover and repair anything. Oh, I believe in myself. I believe in us. Right? <laughs> so I'm like, what's there not to do? So I love that. I love that you shared that story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say with some stuff, it's just like, okay, I am not going to do it. Like bungee jumping, you know? No, I'm sorry. That's, that's a, that's a thin person thing. And so I'm going to let y'all, I'm going to let y'all have that. Okay. Everything's not for everybody. And people have to understand it's okay to bow out of stuff that's too dangerous. So I'm over 300. I'm not doing no fucking bungee cord, nothing. Cause it snaps within people. So I'm not, I'm not doing that. Okay. So some shit I'm not going to do. And that's one of them. I love it. I love it. This is like, it's still okay to have boundaries and limits. <laughs> that's so great. So you wrote your memoir. You got a really clear sign to dig it back out. You got an agent right away. That's amazing. I mean, again, I work with a lot of writers and the fact you got repped in 48 hours is... I did, well, backstory, I had two novels before that and got rejected over a hundred, hundreds of times. So that was my first, exactly. So I wrote two dystopian novels, I think two or three. And each time I would get hundreds of rejections for like over... I've been trying to get published since I was 16. So... Yeah, it was like almost, what, eight or nine years. So it was my third book that got me. So like, I always tell people, 
sometimes your first, second, even sometimes your third book will not get published. Um, this is just how it works. Unless you have some connects or you have something that is amazing or you're a celebrity, they're not really checking for that. And you can have all of the masters and all the coaching and everything. At the end of the day, it really comes down to the market. It comes down to your marketability. Uh, and it comes down to the story at that right place and time. But yeah, it's definitely not an overnight success story at all. Yeah. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Okay. That sounds more true to the experiences that I'm familiar with for the writers. It's hard. It's hard. What do you love about writing, Leah B? What lights you up about it? I mean, I'm obsessed. So I have stories on my wrist. I got it when I was in uh, Turkey. Um, for those of you, that's a tattoo. This is the word stories yeah, but, on yeah, Leah yeah. wrist. So, yes, I have a tattoo on my wrist and it says stories. And I actually happened, uh, it's my first tattoo. And I decided to get this tattoo, stories, uh, after I was sexually assaulted in Turkey. And so I was like, I don't want to leave Turkey with that as like the defining factor. So I ended up getting stories on my wrist. Um, and so, but it's crazy because like I am stories, you know, I am words. And so writing stories has absolutely saved my life um, in a lot of ways. And so I feel like, yeah, writing for me is it's, I, I wouldn't even be me if I didn't write stories. Like absolutely not. I would not be sitting here if, if stories weren't introduced to me uh, or if I didn't write them. Like is as something that I will always do forever and ever free uh, or not, you know, free or paid. It's something that is is within me. So yeah, it's so powerful. And yeah, I hear that it both works for you, like for yourself, like for your own sense of connectedness and well-being for your own self but also your stories are deeply inspirational to others as well so you've got i i really hear like both of those happening for you and i mean it's why i started the podcast and why i wanted to have people on to tell their stories because i know there's nothing more powerful oh no i it's it's something that will never go out of style people have been telling stories for thousands of years on walls and caves you know on tablets on stone tablets and so storytelling although the medium might change we will all it will never go out of style you know it's not trendy to tell stories and to listen to stories and receive information uh so yeah i will forever have have that in my life and so and i'm happy to have that um skill so everybody doesn't have skill of oration or storytelling whether verbal or through pictures or through body movements a lot of people don't have that so we are the special ones that uh, are able to harness trauma and joy and the bottom and the top uh into something that's viable into something that's entertaining into something that's powerful yeah Right. And that can open other people up as well, either through like that. Oh, my God, they got I'm not alone or the oh, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, those two reactions. So, Levy, what are you working on now? You mentioned you're writing a script. Are you able to tell us anything about it? Yeah. So right now, um, the script is a little bit. So we all know the strikes are happening, the WTA and SAG-AFTRA. So right now we're on pause mode. So I write really fast. Uh, cause I'm, I'm an obsessive writer. 
So if I if I it's if it's there, I'm I'm gonna keep doing it until it's perfected and it's this is how I create my children. Uh fast. And so uh yeah, so I'm writing a script. I've been running wanting to write a script for since my memoir came out. So it's been like six or seven years. And I've never had the courage or the I had the know-how. I'm not gonna say I didn't have the know-how. I never had the courage to do it. I didn't have the time, air quotes, to do it. Clearly, I had time. I was just afraid of it being too big. You know what I mean? You know how we we look at things and we're like, oh, this is too big for me. You know, stop. And finally, when I got upset at the modeling industry, I was like, I'm going to do something that I wanted to do. Not modeling. I want to write a script. <laughs> and so uh, I, yeah, so I, it was crazy how I got. So I actually have a mentor who's actually a producer of like real movies and TV shows, like she has Netflix movies, regular movies, she works with all the celebrities. She, I met her uh, seven years ago through my um, graduate program. Her name's Susan Carsonis. And if you Google her name, she's literally a big deal. And so I, we just kept in touch, but not like, just kept in touch, like whatever, like, okay. And so I told her that I would want to write a script and if she can help me with a log line, which is like the log line is like, just basically like, okay, here's a story just to sell to people. Like, here's what the story's about. And just that little section, nothing crazy. Cause I don't want to take her time. She's, she's, she's a big hotshot Hollywood person. And, um, I tried to submit my script to a <laughs> Sundance festival thing. <laughs> so when I did it, they emailed, they emailed me back and were like, Oh, your uh, script is incomplete. Like your form is incomplete. We we need a script. We need the first episode. And I'm like, oh, I thought you guys just wanted the idea. And they were like, no, we need the full script. <laughs> so I was like, I don't have a script. I just have an idea. And so I text Susan. I'm like, Susan, sorry for wasting your time. I um don't have a script, and I will not be able to enter the Sundance competition because I don't have a script. And I was like, I'm sorry for wasting your time and goodbye forever. And she's just like, uh, that's okay. And so I was like, well, I'm going to pay someone to kind of like, you know how you coach people. I want a film coach to help me get my script together. She told me to send the name of the person that I was thinking about. I sent it to her. Five minutes later, she said, I don't, I don't know who this woman is. Uh, she has no IMDb credits. I'll be your mentor. And I'm like, what's I was like, you don't have to do this. You're important. I'm just no one, nobody. She's like, Leah, you've done some amazing things. And I watched you grow over the last seven years in your career and as, as a person. And she's like, it will be my honor to help you shape your script. Oh, you make me cry again. Oh, no. So me and Susan have been working on a six episode script. It's done. And so after we, they, you know, Netflix stopped playing games, you know, the white men in the suit stopped playing games. I can shop my script around, but yeah, but long story short, it's uh, loosely based on my life, but it's times a hundred. So it's going to be fat sex, of course, uh, just like Leah in random places in New York City. Uh, you know, she's a little bit uh, not really emotionally intelligent, uh, but she is in these situations with hot guys and Doing, she's trying to figure out like how to navigate as like a kind of a washed up influ social media influencer uh, in a game where you know they have TikTok stars and uh, biracial models who are trying to create 
double chins for themselves. So it's very much so my life, but just exacerbated times 67,000. Uh, it's very fun. It's very gritty. And um, I love it. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm feeling like it almost sounds like a mashup between Shrill and Michelle Buteau's. What was the show that she just came out with? Oh, um, Survival of the Thickest. Yeah, it's definitely giving giving both of those. It's definitely giving both of those. And it's just Oh my God, so please more fat representation on TV. I hate that I can only name two examples, really. I know. I I would love if it got on anything, even Tubi. Like I would be okay with getting it on Tubi. <laughs> so hopefully they can sell it. And um, you know, that would be a dream of mine to get into film and TV. Um, and that's what I'm working towards. I'm in an improv class right now. I've been taking acting classes. I've been doing those skits. So I think my transition from modeling and influencing will be to film and TV. Um, and so I think that's where I can see myself next. Oh my God. Okay. So here's what we're going to do, Livia. Everyone listening, I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to imagine watching Leah V's kick-ass show on Netflix Prime. Who else do we want to call in? Netflix Prime, HBO, Cinemax, wherever. <laughs> Whoever. Yeah. On like a major network. And everyone, everyone take a breath and just like send Leah me those wishes. Put them out into the world. Yeah. I, I can see it. I can like, you know, I've always, I believe in manifestation. I believe in like what you, what you put out in the atmosphere comes back to you. It might not be immediately. And as we've seen in my life, like I've put things out 20, like, 2010 uh, and it comes back you know in 2020 2021 so I, I believe in setting those seeds planting those seeds and sometimes those seeds it take a long time to grow and other times they they sprout immediately but I'm a true believer and if you can see it you can do it and I see myself on a red carpet I see myself winning an award I see myself starring in or at least selling a script to a major network this is what happened with my books like I saw myself getting a book deal and writing a book and doing a book tour. And I've done that. So if, if I can see it, it's, it can definitely happen. Like, absolutely. And then what's amazing, Leah, is that you get to then be the, the, what everyone else sees if they can't see it for themselves, right? Like that whole rep representation matters. I would have loved to see fat people doing stuff when I was younger, you know, I maybe wouldn't have limited myself so much because we can't, that's saying we can't be what we can't see. Right. And you're so good at seeing it for yourself and creating it. And then that has the ripple effect of then everyone else gets to see you doing it. And suddenly they get to give themselves the permission to, that is such a gift that you're bringing. Thank you. I'm so excited to do that. Because like you, I grew up where you, you know, we had Roseanne, uh, and then me, Carrie, and then we had, uh, I think Star Jones and then Queen Latifah. And so, you know, you only had a couple, a handful of fat people who were, but usually they were, you know, the funny, funny fat friend or the sidekick, the skinny girl. And, you know, we never got to win. And I just want to see fat bitches winning. That's, that's my goal in life is see fat bitches winning. all across the globe. Episode title right there, Fat Pitch is Winning. <laughs> let, me write, let me write that down. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Get that URL. That's what I always do. I always buy the, I buy the URL of every idea. Oh, amazing. So, Leavy, I want to talk to you about joy. I always end the conversation with a connection back to joy, even though everything you say seems filled with joy. But, like, what is joy for you? 
ooh, I love this. We love joy. Like, I feel like, well, when you first said joy, I thought about just like being black. <laughs> like, just like, because like I always, uh, when I was growing up, I never wanted to be black. I never wanted to be like n- nothing to black. I-, I wanted, right? Because I grew up with like, white is better. That's like, being white and thin is like the top two goals that you need to have in life as a black person. And so I don't know, joy to me is just like my melanin. Uh, <laughs> it's just like uh, eating really amazing food, you know, and kind of like savoring each bite and you're just like in it to win it. Uh, joy is, I think being fat. No, I know is being fat and unapologetic in your skin um joy is taking up space um without asking permission uh joy is creating stories and sharing stories and receiving stories and, and also joy is cats yeah joy, joy is cats because i love cats all of all of them i don't care if they're mean to me or not i think joy is cats so yes <laughs> that is an amazing list of what joy means for you. Uh, Leah V, you are delightful. I'm so thrilled. Thank you. I feel really honored that I got to talk to you and get to know you and oh, that your story is going to be shared with everyone who's listening. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. <laughs> Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. I really related to Leah V sharing the ups and downs of her life which had me choose this poem by Cameron Awkward Rich called Meditations in an Emergency. I wake up and it breaks my heart. I draw the blinds and the thrill of rain breaks my heart. I go outside. I ride the train, walk among the buildings, men in Monday suits. The flight of doves the city of tents beneath the underpass, the huddled mass, old women hawking roses, and children, all of them, break my heart. There's a dream I have in which I love the world. I run from end to end like fingers through her hair. There are no borders, only wind. Like you, I was born. Like you, I was raised in the institution of dreaming. Hand on my heart. Hand on my stupid heart. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. 
and we'll talk again soon.